This podcast is about social anxiety disorder, and I decided to speak on this topic because I am teaching a course on behavior disorders, and I thought about how some of the children in the classroom who are quiet, teachers think about as not having a behavior disorder. And in some ways, the children who are quiet need the most help. And they may fall prey to being a victim or being truant from school or maybe even have a behavior disorder in some way, shape, or form. It may be a behavior disorder that's withdrawal, but it is still something that is serious and to be concerned about. Social anxiety disorder is fairly rare in terms of the prevalence is pretty low for childhood and it starts to increase around adolescence. But I do believe it is something to be more aware of because it's not typically spoken about. Social anxiety disorder is a disorder under the classification of anxiety disorders in the DSM-5. That is the manual that is used to diagnose mental health conditions. Some of the symptoms of social anxiety disorder are fear of social situations, nervousness around people, panic, rapid heartbeat, sweaty palms, and somatization when faced with having to socialize or interact with others. So somatization means taking it upon your body. Feelings are felt within the body. So you may have a stomach ache or headache or feel ill when faced with a stressful situation such as having to interact with one with another person. Individuals who are suspected of having social anxiety disorder or who are diagnosed with social anxiety disorder experience abject fear of social situations and professional situations which require meeting new people or having to express themselves to another person. This can happen either in a one-to-one or a group setting. This goes beyond a feeling of trepidation or unease around others and extends to actions such as avoidance of the situation or isolation at home. Individuals are affected to such a degree that they may even be afraid to eat in front of others go to the restroom in public, or show up to events. Clearly, to be diagnosed with social anxiety disorder, symptoms must be present for a prolonged period, and I'll get into that later. This disorder is serious and will impede with daily functioning. Social anxiety disorder goes beyond being quiet or having a shy personality. The roots of social anxiety disorder stem from deeper issues and problems that appear on the surface. Again, this is a diagnosed mental health condition. There are deeply rooted beliefs about oneself that may stem from a number of causes such as fear of being rejected or abandoned. Individuals with social anxiety disorder are often struck with a crippling fear of speaking to and relating to others in social or professional situations. They tend to isolate, run away from, 
and avoid social situations. Making social contact is painful. Issues of avoidance of social situations prevents one from having the ability to form and sustain relationships. Fear of rejection will cause those with social anxiety disorder to pull back from others. Making small talk feels overwhelming. It is difficult to show up for social situations and events because one is in the vulnerable position of speaking to others who are they familiar with and to unfamiliar contexts. Of course, this translates into deeper problems later as it becomes difficult to make and keep friendships when fear of embarrassment or rejection is an obstacle. Life becomes more narrow and the individual prefers to stay home overtaking risks. When individuals with social anxiety have to face a situation that is difficult, they create a wall around themselves as a protective mechanism. Social anxiety disorder manifests in other ways than not being able to make friends or speak to others at an event, and we'll get into that a little later. Like any other disorder, some presentations impede with functioning more than others. For example, some individuals experience social anxiety only when they have to speak in public, do public speaking. This is more common and easier to treat than other forms of social anxiety. This is known as performance anxiety. And this is easily treated because the individual can see a psychotherapist, go to a class, or join Toastmasters. However, social anxiety can manifest itself in other ways, where one becomes too frightened to speak altogether or under certain conditions. When one is too frightened to speak, this disorder is known as selective mutism, and it's part of, it is a, different classification of social anxiety disorder. There are individuals who also mask their symptoms. They detach from escape mechanisms, such as compulsions, obsessions, or addictions. They may have social anxiety disorder and show up in social situations, but they may distract themselves with addictive behaviors or substance abuse to keep themselves from having to make contact with others. Here's an example. This is an example of an adult situation. The person may be at a party or bar, but sit away from others. He or she may, be appear to, may appear to be lost in thought while they look at their tablet or phone and engage in gambling, smoking, or drinking. The use of electronics, gambling, illegal substances, alcohol abuse, or compulsive eating then keep themselves from having to feel fear of rejection or criticism. As I said before, those individuals with social anxiety disorder have a problem forming relationships. It feels uneasy to make small talk, to make new friends, or to speak up in social situations. 
Some individuals with social anxiety disorder are able to have a small circle of friends, but not want to be interactive in social situations. So let's go back a little and talk about how social interactions develop and what is considered normal. Social interactions begin at birth and continue to expand. With first glances from mother, father, or a close caregiver, an infant receives a signal of warmth and caring. The first exchange between primary caregivers and infant will set up the feeling of love, trust, and caring. As the baby becomes a toddler, trust means walking away from the caregiver and knowing that they will return. As babies and toddlers interact with family members and extended family, they pick up signals to indicate that loved ones are interested in communicating with them, and they respond in turn. Although in infancy, mother and child only have eyes for each other, the circle of caring expands as others smile and exchange glances. They invite happy facial expressions. They exchange coos, laughter, and a few words. The first social experiences with family and an inner circle of adults will set the tone for the child as a social being. As children are exposed to interactions outside the home or community, they begin to pick up language and learn both verbal and nonverbal cues. While some children are prone to talk more and interact with friendly people, most children are taught to be cautious, safe, and respond only to trusted adults. When a child feels safe and secure with their primary caregivers, they pay heed to the messages of this care and protection. Early social experiences shape relationships, but there is more to it. Other factors having to do with the shaping of personality relate to how easily a child learns to navigate relationships in the early years. Also, children have different temperaments, different energy levels, and a sense of how they should communicate with adults and peers. When there is good command to language, it helps, but there may be other reasons that the child is reserved with adults. Both nature and nurture play a part in how a child will relate to one another, to others. Genetics and biology determine certain aspects of personality. Temperament has been shown to be an inherent part of a child's genetic makeup. Each child has a different personality and a different sense of how to take in and process information. He or she may be more or less reactive in emotional situ situations based on patterns of past behavior and what they've observed from their caregivers. Again, children have different personalities. Some children are high-strung and more active and others are more mellow. Watching their families' reactions to situations becomes the greatest learning tool for a young child. 
how caregivers and others around them react to situations will affect how a child will respond to situations. Understanding the individual differences in the ability to process language, express language, and relate to others is key to understanding why some children are good in social situations, while others are severely impeded by inner obstacles that cause a strong pulling back, rather than to be optimistic and open toward relationships. Children who eventually develop social anxiety disorders have moved beyond trepidation and have moved into the full avoidance mode. So if a child is generally shy and hesitates to interact with, the, with others, it doesn't mean necessarily that they have social anxiety disorder. Again, it has to be for a prolonged period and to such a duration and intensity that something becomes more noticeable. We also have to think of developmental appropriateness. Developmental appropriateness may be kept at the forefront of the diagnosis process. Some children develop slightly faster than others in this domain and others are slower to interact. They may be considered quieter or more shy. Still, there is a normal range of child development and milestones that should be reached by different ages. First and foremost, awareness is the key. Teachers can play a role in identifying any issues or problems. However, teachers do not always see the whole picture. A child may be quiet in school and extremely outgoing at home in family life. It is important for a school psychologist, counselor, or social worker to do outreach if something is noticeably wrong. While the support providers are doing outreach, coordinate care to see if one person should be the touch person or whether there should be a separate call to speak in terms of academics and what is seen from the classroom teacher's point of view. It is important to get in touch with the family, but handle it with care so that the family does not perceive the calls as intrusive. Often when families get bombarded or a school faculty member calls home too often or too much, the family gets alarmed or they get defensive. While the immediate goal is for the parent to bring these concerns to a counselor or mental health provider, it is important to be sensitive to cultural needs and perception. There should be open communication about taking the child to a counselor or mental health provider that does not backfire and become a reason for the parent to do the opposite of what is best for the child. In some cases, it is best to let the social worker or counselor in the school take the lead. It is important to work as a team. While one provider may recommend that the parent goes to a pediatrician, another faculty member might not agree with that recommendation. Never make assumptions about what is best in terms of care without getting feedback from the team, coming to a consensus, and then reaching out to the parent. However, if there are ongoing symptoms where urgency is needed, the school leadership team should be informed right away. The leadership team being the assistant principal, the principal, and so on. Preventative measures, of course, are even better. 
Parents and caregivers who regularly take their child to a pediatrician will be typically educated on the milestones of typical development. Social anxiety disorder, again, cannot be diagnosed unless there are six months of ongoing issues and symptoms. Parents and caregivers who read up or watch videos about typical development of social interactions and stay current with new health reports will be more likely to notice a need for concern. Awareness of the basic milestones as to when a child should babble and coo, say their first word, and then formulate short sentences is a good beginning, but it is not nearly enough. Parents need to check for responsiveness, relatedness, and whether a child is progressing at the developmentally appropriate stages. This can help a parent, caregiver, or family member call for screening and evaluation in the event that something is detected early on. Although social anxiety disorders are not typically diagnosed in early childhood, there are some indicators that might help parents to create bonding opportunities not only with the caregiver, but with extended family members and trusted friends. Of course, there are variations based on cultural norms, birth order, number of siblings, and again, personality and temperament. For example, if a child is an only child with working parents, the child may be more friendly and outgoing because the caregiver may take the child to before and after school programs, take the child on play dates more often, and take long trips that are more child-centered, such as going to Disney World. The opposite may be true. A child with a shy temperament may not respond to all of this stimulation. The important thing is to understand when a child is not engaging in healthy social interactions and when it impairs functioning. Social skills, like any other skill, are developed when children play with one another and interact in a classroom setting. When a child avoids interactions with one another, it is something to be concerned about. Individuals with social anxiety tend to avoid interactions and do not develop the necessary skills through developmental phases of childhood. The individual may avoid interactive play with each other's, with others in the early years, which may develop into a fear of interacting within Organize social settings such as birthday parties, clubs, or a camp. The child may want to play alone too much, sit alone in the cafeteria. He or she may prefer to engage in sedentary activities such as watching TV, playing computer games, or streaming movies alone rather than playing outside with other children. Social anxiety disorder is not diagnosed until about eight years of age, typically, and by most standards, usually around adolescence. There are some clinicians that diagnose social anxiety disorder earlier or believe that the symptoms can be present earlier in childhood. This is true for selective mutism, especially because if a child is not talking, it is something to be concerned about. Although most parents and caregivers know when something is not right, having basic knowledge of expectations and norms help to foster understand whether a child is developing socially or emotionally. Parents, teachers, counselors, and clergymen 
once aware of healthy and normal development, can communicate with caregivers. Most children want to play alone sometimes, but most of the time children look to play with other children, walk with other children, talk with other children, and spark up a friendship. It is not unusual to see a child walk up to another one on the playground and say, play with me, even if they don't know the child. If a child appears not to play with others, there is usually a reason behind it. Although most parents and caregivers know when their child wants to be alone and when he or she is looking to play with others, if this happens for a prolonged period when a child does not want to play with others or communicate, this should be a concern. There may be something deeper going on. Adults cannot assume the reason for this, nor should they. This lack of desire or inability to interact with others should be taken seriously. If untreated, he or she may develop, may not develop the skills needed to interact in a healthy manner. Social anxiety may produce so much stress and fear that the child may want to avoid group activities in school. Eventually, this may lead to somatic symptoms and the desire to miss school. Again, somatic symptoms are feeling like they have a stomach ache or a headache and they don't really want to go to school. If untreated, social anxiety in the early years can affect academic functioning. Intervention is needed. A child who displays fear of social situations or who is afraid to speak in front of the class may have social anxiety disorder. However, similar symptoms may be presented that equate to a different diagnosis, such as autism spectrum disorder, or other disorders. So to be certain, it is best to refer the child to the school psychologist, the social worker, or a counselor. The classroom teacher or specials teacher can never be too cautious when it comes to a suspected disorder or a mental health condition. As mentioned previously, social anxiety may take the form of selective mutism, causing a lack of speech or communication in one or more settings. If this becomes evident, contact your school psychologist and your speech and language pathologist or speech teacher. Outward manifestations of social anxiety disorder may become apparent without understanding that social anxiety disorder may be at the core of other issues. Symptoms may appear such as school avoidance, issues with attendance, truancy, or chronic lateness to school. Children may want to avoid school because of the expectation of having to work and play with others. This is especially true in the modern classroom and academic settings where students have to work collaboratively in groups or pairs on projects and assignments. Children also may fear downtime when not in academic settings when other children go off in pairs or form social groups. For these children, Engaging in play, making conversation, and forming friendships is not only difficult, it's anxiety-provoking. The fear of rejection is so overwhelming that it is easier for those children to find a way to avoid playing with others by staying inside during recess or wanting to sit with a teacher during lunch. <clears throat> they patiently wait until recess is over. They are so frightened of potentially being left out that it is easier not to try than to risk embarrassment 
or having to experience that awkward moment of having to ask another child to play with them. Children do not outgrow social anxiety. Adolescence is another difficult phase for many young people, and in adolescence, symptoms of uneasiness may present with or without social anxiety disorder. Typically around puberty, young adolescents become more self-conscious and embarrassed in groups, they become more aware of themselves. However, if the individual starts to avoid social situations, it's something to be concerned about. When an adolescent is showing signs and symptoms of wanting to stay home and avoid social situations, they may be heading for a downward spiral. For individuals with social anxiety disorder in adolescence, the normal rites of passage become difficult. As the need for belonging becomes one of the more driving motivations to make friends, travel in groups, and join activities inside and outside of school, those with social anxiety disorder become overly concerned with what others think of them and rather than what they think of themselves. There's a tendency to avoid social situations or to cover up a feeling of anxiousness or fear in uncomfortable situations with underage drinking, drugging, or promiscuity. Social anxiety is not always easily diagnosed. This is due to the fact that it may present as general anxiety, depression, or more typically masked as substance abuse. In adolescence, the need for belonging and formation of identity become part of healthy development stages. When symptoms present that impair functioning, it is time for parents to seek treatment for their child or teen. Social anxiety often presents as other disorders that may appear as behavioral issues or as withdrawal or school avoidance. As adolescents transition into adulthood, these symptoms can also be present. Adults with social anxiety disorder miss out on many opportunities in life. They may need to seek help from a licensed psychotherapist, social worker, or even seek psychiatric care. Social anxiety disorder leads to bigger issues. The comorbidities, that means other mental health disorders that go along with, are general anxiety, panic disorder, depression, and substance abuse. Individuals with social anxiety in adulthood are fearful across situations, not just social situations. Adults with social anxiety disorder tend to isolate themselves, avoid contact, and spend excess time on social media or other escape mechanisms. For adults, social anxiety disorder presents in not being able to relate not only in social situations, but in finding a life partner. There are problems with reaching out to members of the opposite sex, uh, finding it easy to date, 
or to meet and sustain new relationships. This disorder is often dismissed as shyness or a tendency to be interested in solo activities. However, the difference between a quiet personality and social anxiety disorder, of course, is in the intensity, frequency, and duration of the presentation of symptoms. The degree of anxiety with social anxiety disorder impedes with the ability to function in life. The necessary skills are greatly impaired for those adults with social anxiety. Social anxiety disorders can prevent an individual from finding or keeping a job. As skills become weak without practice, skills such as networking, interviewing skills, and later when they find a job, skills such as working on teams, interfacing with colleagues and supervisors may be lacking. Although social anxiety disorder is not one of those disorders that is widely spoken about, it is important to be aware of these issues, problems, and symptoms as teachers and counselors need to help those who are displaying symptoms that may be social anxiety disorder or they may be other mental health disorders. So what else can teachers and helping professionals do? Teachers can create a healthy support system for children and adolescents and young adults. They can have an excellent referral system in their learning community or their nonprofit organization. They can teach social skills development and teach relationship building skills. They can provide support for individuals who need social skills training, modeling encouragement, and direct instruction with social skills. So I'll leave you with these four questions and a summary of symptoms. Number one, how does social anxiety stop individuals from functioning? Number two, what is the difference between social anxiety and social maladjustment? Number three, how does culture play into the picture? Number four, what is performance anxiety? Here's a summary of symptoms. Fear of social situations, overly concerned with what people think, avoidance of social situations, avoidance of school or work, physical symptoms such as rapid heartbeat, upset stomach or headaches, a risk for drug or alcohol abuse, not being able to talk or communicate with others, and catastrophizing. Catastrophizing means thinking that the worst will happen. And here are some considerations. We need to consider functional impairment. We need to pay attention to developmentally appropriate milestones. We need to consider the pervasiveness 
the intensity and frequency of symptoms. We need to consider cultural variations. We need to consider the environment and whether a person reacts differently in different environments. We need to consider role models, whether the individual has healthy role models and how their parents or caregivers may have related to them. We need to consider genetics and temperament. Thank you so much for listening and I hope that this was an informative podcast.